Today there is so much clamor for freedom. You know, as an American people, people in general, we we desire freedom. It's a human desire. Um, Americans in particular, I think, are obsessed with freedom because our country was founded on independence from Great Britain. But we... We have a desire for freedom in us because, in part, yes, because we're made in God's image, but really, I mean, we're we're created in God's image to be dependent creatures, dependent on Him, uh, looking to Him, and guided by Him as His children, obeying Him. But I think in large part because of the fall into sin and into slavery to sin, we have a desire for freedom because we we are our reality is that we are in our sin chained we're bound we are bound by sin we're slaves to sin and we're slaves to satan and like paul says in romans 7 i do what i don't want to do and i don't want to do what i do oh wretched man that i am who will deliver me from this body of death now the average american wouldn't put it like that they would just say hey i'm i want to be free to do what i want to do but even that is a, is a is a form of slavery um to do just to do whatever you want to do that's the american idea of freedom but that's not true liberation that's slavery to self and slavery to the world and slavery to satan um becoming servants of christ is the only way to be truly liberated and and we see that here in this text um you know in our culture today again i mean the the drive to freedom has myriad manifestations and some of them these days are just trying to erase every single line that God has put in place you know all the sexual lines all the gender lines um I can be whoever I want to be I can be transgender I can be um anything that I set my mind to being I can do whatever I want to do and that's there's nothing new under the sun that's that started in Genesis 3 you know you too shall be as God's Uh, the snake said to Adam and Eve, and we believe that lie ever since. But So you see here, hey, speaking of a serpent, you see a serpent spirit here. It's not in the English text or in most English translations, but the the first girl that we encounter is a slave girl. She's possessed by a demonic spirit. It turns out it's it's literally in the Greek, it says she's possessed by the python spirit. And I'll explain that in a second. But we see a girl that's enslaved to owners and enslaved in a more... Uh, serious way um, to Satan into his thraldom through this this uh, serpent or python spirit and and she is set free by Christ. We assume that it doesn 't say that but but the demon is cast out, and she probably becomes a convert. she probably becomes a christian and we we think that for some reasons, one of which is the context, this whole chapter. Um, Luke, the author of Acts, seems to be showing us three very different people from three very different socioeconomic um, and racial um, parts of walks of life that are all delivered and set free by Jesus into his freedom, into life with him. And uh, the first one on the other side that, that precedes this slave girl is, of course, Lydia the upper middle class merchant a very successful woman woman of the 90s we might have said back in the day and when i was a kid 
a woman of the 21st century, right? But it, but this was 2,000 years ago, and she was she was running and gunning, man. She was a merchant, and she um, made clothes for wealthy people, and she knew what she was about, and she knew what she believed. She was a God follower, but she didn't have Christ. She didn't have the gospel, and she got saved. And as, as one commentator says, um, you know, she invites them into her home, and they stay with her. As one commentator says, when when our heart opens, our home opens. And so that's what, it's interesting that in all the litanies that Paul gives later in his pastoral letters uh, in Timothy and Titus to um, in all the lists of what an elder needs to look like, a pastor or an elder in God's church, hospitality always makes the list. Um, and I think part of that is because it's a reflection. Not only is the home a wonderful um, ground for bringing people to Christ, but it's a sort of an extension of the heart. You know, you're opening up your heart and your life to somebody when you, when you invite them into your home. And so, um, which is one reason I think that Christ, he didn't invite people into his home because he didn't have a home. He was homeless, but he was often inviting himself into being invited into and inviting himself into other homes and, and sharing, sitting at table with people and inviting and, and um, and sharing a meal with them. And that of course is an expression of, it's a way of saying, I welcome you. Um, come to me, uh, be with me, come into a relationship with me. And, uh, so, so that's Lydia. And then on the other side of the slave girl, you have, I think what is really the focus of at least the back part of Acts 16, which is the, um, the Philippian jailer who's very different from both Lydia and from the slave girl. He's, a Gentile, Roman citizen. Uh, he is, he's a jailer, or as one commentator, as, as an old school commentator, John Stott says, a gayoler. He's a gayoler, he's a, he's a jailer, and he also gets saved. And that's a wonderful event and a wonderful story. But very different from Lydia, very different from the slave girl, but also enslaved, which is ironic, right? He's, um, and I think Luke intends for us to see this irony, but he is, he is someone who makes sure that people stay chained up, but he is chained up. And we see that we see that as he sees how these chained men are truly free. And yet he, the unchained, who is making sure that they stay chained, is not free. And he gets to that point and sees that through their joy. And he says, what must I do to be saved? And he is indeed saved because they tell him the gospel in a few short words. So what we really see in our text here, yes, but also in this chapter, if we take the whole chapter, Acts 16, verses 1 through 40, is we see three people that from all, from very different uh, walks of life that sort of cover the gamut from different socioeconomic classes and different races with different needs, um, different psychologies, they are all saved. They all find liberation, true freedom, something that we are seeking in America um, headlong, but not finding increasingly because we're looking for it in all the wrong. As, as um, Eddie Murphy said in, in the old SNL skit, in um, all the wrong paces, um, Wooken Panub in all the wrong paces. We're looking, we're looking for freedom in all the wrong places, but they, three different people find it here in Christ. And that's the only way to find freedom. That's the only way to find freedom. And so... Just briefly looking at this slave girl, it says that she had a python spirit in the Greek, and the um, that that is a reference to the snake of classical mythology that guarded the temple of Apollo and the Delphic oracle at Mount Parnassus. Um, Apollo was thought to be embodied in the snake, 
and to inspire Python. This is, and you know, of course, she's attached. You see this in the text. She's attached to. She has owners. She's a slave to them. She can tell. Um, she has a, a sort of prophetic spirit about her through this demonic spirit. The de- demons have real power, right? And she can tell people's fortunes. And you see fortune tellers dot the landscape today in Houston and up and down Westheimer and Richmond, where I live, etc. But they, um, they're using her to make money. And she... Um, yeah, he was thought that, that, that that spirit was thought to give clairvoyance and indeed did in this case. But I think one of the takeaways here is that a lot of times we, we think that, um, like, okay, there is a, okay, there's a Python spirit. Well, it seems like, okay, Roman gods, Greek gods, false gods. We know they were false gods, but underpinning these false gods were demonic powers, real demonic powers, real fallen powers that want to drag you down to hell, that want to screw with you, that want to um, mess you up, that want to confuse your mind and tear at your body and entrap you and drag you down to hell and devour you and destroy your life forever. And we see that here. She's a slave. She is treated as chattel. She has a real power. There is real power behind these things. That we that we trifle with sometimes, and you know, we can we can sugarcoat the Roman and Greek gods. I was just looking today or yesterday at a, a quote by um, Charles Swinburne, the 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 nineteenth century English poet, who said, "It's the famous line from a hymn to um, Proserpina, a Roman goddess." Um, basically, he's he's saying that the West has the world. Has uh, he's talking about Jesus? Oh, pale Galilean, the world has grown gray from your breath. But then he goes on to say that you know there's so much more color in life in the Roman god- gods and goddesses, and that's of course exactly the opposite. That's a lie from the enemy. Um, we can we can dress the classical age up. A lot of wisdom came from it. We can dress it up as an age of um, brilliance and an age that brought freedom and where there was richness and beauty. But actually, um, worship of these Roman in Greek gods, is worship of false gods. It was worship of demons, and it brought slavery. And we see that here in the slave girl. And you know, Paul, she follows Paul around for a few days, and nobody else knows. He's having to preach the gospel and see God convince people that Jesus is the Messiah, and um, the very God of very God and true man, and the Savior sent to, to to liberate us. And and many, most that hear Paul's message, and most that hear our message of salvation, don't believe us. But the demons everywhere Jesus goes, and everywhere. That his fault, that his apostles and disciples go, the demons know. You know, the demons were the first to to trumpet to people that Jesus was the Son of God and that He had come to destroy the works of the devil. And they were constantly shrieking out the truth, and Jesus was constantly shutting them up in His ministry. And the same thing happens here. You know, the demons they know exactly who this is. Isn't that interesting? Man, we have we have things to learn even from demons. They, in many ways, are smarter than we, and they know more than we. And that's why, because they know that Jesus is the way of our liberation, they want to do anything they can to deceive us. And indeed, they will. So she's just shouting. She's following them and just following them and shouting with this demonic python spirit that allows her to see things. 
over and over again in the marketplace in the Agora, she is in, in uh, Philippi, she's shouting, hey, these are followers of the Most High God. They're proclaiming to you the way of salvation. And everything that she says right there is true. They are indeed proclaiming the way of salvation. And I don't know, you know, it kind of comes back to bite the demon because then the demon gets kicked out and then the girl gets saved. So that's always the way that it works with, uh, with the power encounter between Satan and Jesus is that uh, Jesus wins and he often uses Satan's tricks against him. He's a judo master, God is. But uh, that happens here and she's liberated and, uh, and probably professes faith in Christ and follows them and becomes um, one, of the, one of the elect and one of the saved. And so... Um, she's liberated and then really again the focus of I think this section is that we see that through this ordeal they're tossed Paul and Silas are tossed in the gale in in prison in jail and before that they are beaten to a bloody pulp beaten severely I would think it's safe to say that none of us has probably seen I don't know who I'm speaking to here because this is online but uh, very few of us that hear this will have ever seen a beating as severe and thank God for it, as was what Paul and Silas got here. This was no, this was no, wimpy thrashing. This was, this was a public beating, a humiliating beating, where the the victims were stripped, and wasn't supposed to happen to Roman citizens. Although sometimes it did. Paul was a Roman citizen. They didn't know that. They didn't care to ask. They didn't take the time. They found out later, and they were embarrassed for it. But um, they get the heck beaten out of them, and then thrown in jail. Every reason to be pissed, every reason to be ticked, every reason to be sour. You know, God clearly called them to Philippi. God clearly called them to Macedonia here to preach the gospel. And Lydia gets saved, and this girl gets saved, and he wouldn't let them go preach the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, right? Acts 16 says that uh, it forbids them to go up farther up into Turkey, and instead they go down 400 miles uh, around the coast, around the Adriatic, to um, to Philippi here, and so yay, God is saving through us. Wonderful, but then hey, we get thrown in jail, we get beaten and thrown in jail. Is this part of God's plan too? Yes, yes, it is. Yes, it is. What happens? They get set free. There's sh- there's an earthquake that's brought on by God because how do we know? Well. Their shackles are broken free. And the gates of the prison, all of the gates, they're in the inner, Luke says, they're in the inner jail cell, down in the bowels of the prison. And I've been to a Pauline prison in Rome, and they weren't like prisons today. They weren't clean cement blocks. They were caves in the bowels of the earth. And if you're in the inner prison, you're fat, you're chained to a rock, man, you're down deep. You're down deep in there. You didn't get a TV. You didn't get a workout. You didn't get a pull-up bar. No. They're chained down there in the deeps and buried away after having been beaten within an inch of their lives. And what are they doing? They're singing. And all the gates are open and all the chains fall off. And that's, I mean, you could, sometimes people say, man, I just wish God would just write it in the sky. God is, it seems to be, okay, look, listen to me, stay with me here. God seems to be writing this in the sky. You are free to go. Do they go? No, sir. No, sir. Peter, the same thing happened to Peter earlier in Acts. He goes. Why not now? Well, 
we can sort of deduce that they had a Holy Spirit hunch. Maybe the Holy Spirit told them to stay. Who knows? Maybe he just used a circumstance to give them pause. But it's interesting that even if that's the case, and it probably is because they stayed, why set them free? Well, we find out. What happens? The Philippian jailer comes to his senses. Maybe he's stunned or or whatever because of the earthquake. He comes to his senses and he sees all the open gates and all the broken shackles. And he draws his sword to commit Harry Carey, to kill himself. To plunge his sword into his, into his guts. Why does he do that? What the heck? Well, he does that because the Roman penalty for a jailer letting his prisoners go was death. So he's going to do the honorable thing and it's going to be done to him anyway. So, And before he does that, Paul sees him, obviously, and says, whoa, 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 hold it, stop, stop. Don't do that. We're all here. Not just Paul and Silas, but everyone else. Now, and the guy ends up getting saved. What does he say? He says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? That's all he says to them. And what do they say? They say, Paul says, believe on Jesus Christ and you and your family will be saved. Just a few words. Notice here he doesn't give him, he doesn't give him more than he needs. Sometimes people need years of faithfulness, of faithful preaching of the gospel and word and deed, a steady presence. But sometimes they don't. And this guy has, and, and so don't give a person less than they need, but don't give a person more than they need. Sometimes people are ready and we have to be sensitive to the spirit and sensitive to them and what they're asking for. Maybe with words, maybe not with words. Uh, and every person is different. Every salvation looks different. Every salvation happens in the same way through the person of Jesus Christ who breaks through the gates of hell, takes our place on the cross, and starts life anew through his resurrection and invites us into that. Um, and that's always what Paul has to offer, and that's always and ever the only thing we have to offer, and that's all we need to offer, because he is the way, the truth, and the life. Paul doesn't give this man more than he needs, and the man believes on Christ and is, boom, saved. He and his household. He takes him home. His whole house gets saved. He tends to their wounds. They get baptized, and it's amazing. That's probably how the church started, right? Lydia, this girl, this Philippian jailer, all probably part of the same church. Amazing all very different. <clears throat> but back to my point, it's so interesting. Um, if we can sort of draw an application from, or, or, or sort of put a headline uh, on a lesson, what is the principle here that we gain from this? It was God who broke the change and opened up the doors, and yet it was also seemingly not God's will for them to walk through those doors and out of those chains. If they had, this man would have killed himself. As it was, he got saved. So what can we draw from this? Well, let's put it into a phrase. God did not free uh, these men. God did not free these men that were in the jail uh, so that they could, uh, for their liberation, but for the liberation and salvation of, of someone who was really in chains, in chains, this, this jailer, right? So sometimes he works in ways that we just aren't expecting. It seems so obvious. He's telegraphing his path here. Yeah, of course he just broke these chains off for Paul and Silas to go free. Nope. It was to free someone else. It was to save someone else. 
God is a person. He has personal reasons for things. And um, and we can see that here. And he's a missionary God. He goes after people. He look what it, look what has happened. He has put them in this place so that they might get so that they might suffer and get put into a place where they then rejoice instead of complain. And because of that rejoicing, this this jailer has heard them do something that he has probably heard no other. They're not carping. They're not complaining. He's probably heard no other prisoners do. And he's probably been listening to them share the gospel directly and indirectly and talk about how blessed it is to be able to suffer for the name just like um, Peter does and, and the other apostles do in Acts 5, verse 41, I think it is, where they count it, they count it a blessing to suffer for, for Jesus Christ, what a blessing it is. And there's power in that. There's power in rejoicing. Paul says to the Philippian church that is formed through all this later in his letter to them, he says three times, rejoice in the Lord always. It's a command. And he's, and he's doing it here. He, he puts his money where his mouth is. And that's the spirit of Christ. We don't rejoice in our circumstances. We rejoice in the Lord. And we rejoice especially when we suffer for his name. Because there's blessing in that and there's reward that's coming. Jesus says that in Matthew 5. Um, jump for joy and sing hallelujah because great is your reward. It's coming. So the Philippian jailer says, hey, look, look guys, you, you've got something I don't have. You're chained to a wall, but you're really free. I'm free, but I'm a slave, essentially is what he's saying. And, you know, Jake Sweeney in House Church yesterday made the, made the insightful point that the suffering caused Paul and Silas, because of the Spirit of Christ in them, to look outward, to sing, to see a man saved, to be on mission, to not be concerned for themselves. But suffering caused this jailer you know suffering for him was oh these men are gone they've they've escaped was his first thought suffering caused him to do the opposite he didn't go outward through his suffering he went inward and that's what sin does it turns us inward in on ourselves and literally literally in on himself with his sword pointed into his belly he was about to plunge it in and kill himself um so we see another man. We see Lydia, the Gentile upper middle class woman saved. We see this slave girl demonized by the python spirit saved. Oh, and by the way, my brother has seen, I don't know if it's a python spirit, a snake, a woman in India possessed by a snake spirit. She literally, literally slithered, side slithered out the door. I believe she was delivered and saved as well. I'm not sure, but he definitely saw that spirit. It exists even today. Um, don't see a whole lot of that going on in the States, but um, it's not flesh and blood that we fight with, Ephesians 6. It's, it, there's a spiritual battle that rages, and there's spiritual verities that underpin all that is. God is spirit, and he has made all things physical and all things else besides. So, of course, spirit underpins um, physical things. And we're some of the first people in the, in the history of the world not to believe that, and we... Um, we we don't believe that stuff because of our enlightenment inheritance for the past couple hundred years that has blinded us in a lot of ways. But we only believe in what we our five senses tell us is real, but there's so much more going on. So so we see two in this passage two very different people liberated in one way through the name of Jesus Christ and through his person and, and blood and resurrection. And um in the and this all ties together, um 
this all ties together um, in, a, in a quote that is sort of what's the word it's an aphorism it's it's something that's it's bandied about um, because it's it's so commonly understood the head of a Jewish household would use the same prayer every morning giving thanks that God had made him had not made him a Gentile a woman or a slave and what are the three types of people that we what we see here in this in this text in Acts 16 we see a Gentile the Roman um, the Roman jailer, we see a woman, Lydia, and we see a slave, the slave girl, all despised categories uh, by the Jews, all redeemed and united in Christ. And Paul goes on um, to write in Galatians, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And we could title this message, God Saves All Sorts. We could title this chapter, God Saves All Sorts, and indeed he does. He frees all sorts, and there's freedom. True liberation and freedom is only found in him, and true identity. And, and, you know, liberation and a grounded identity and meaning is what all humans are searching for. It's what we're thrashing about for in our culture, and we're only going to find it in Christ. And only Christ is is going to unite us. Um, BLM's not going to unite us. Uh, Trump or Biden are not going to unite us. Save Mother Earth. Idolatry, by the way. Um, oh, we ought to be good stewards of, of, of creation. But, but because, because the West has by and large rejected God uh, and rejected Christ and the gospel... Something is going to fill that vacuum because we're made to worship something. And so what, what is going to last after, we, after we're gone? The earth. So we call her Mother Earth and we say that she's our, she's our source and we look to her. And so we worship her and we'll do anything to save her. It's idolatry. It's a good thing that's been turned into an ultimate thing, which is what an idol is. Um, we ought to take care of the earth, but this is a whole different story. So, so you know, Mother Earth, BLM, uh, Trump, Biden, Republican, uh, elephants, donkey Democrats, um, on and on you can go. You know, choosing your sex, choosing your gender, um, money, status. None of these things are going to liberate you. None of these things are going to save you. In fact, if you make them ultimate things, they're all going to enslave you. Jesus Christ alone brings salvation. We see that here in this text. Um, And we see the joy that just emanates from Paul and Silas and that radiates through this passage here. The joy that, that comes to us regardless of circumstances through who Christ is and what he's done and what he's, what he's brought us into. For the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross, despising its shame, and you know we we see that joy radiating from Paul. Paul in Galatians six, I believe it is five or six. Um, is there even a Galatians six? I, I think it's five. Um, I think there is a six. I'm not. I don't. Okay, I'm embarrassed now. Well, I'm not going to look it up. I'm in a dark room. Um, in Galatians five, I believe it is. Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit, singular. And that fruit against which there is no law is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Um, but love, which Paul elsewhere in 1 Corinthians 13 says is the preeminent virtue and is the thing that ties all the gifts together. And is, as Jesus said, the thing, love for God and love for our fellow man is the thing that all the law and prophets hang on. If you love 
the Lord fully and you love your neighbor fully, you're keeping everything. You're keeping the whole law. You're pleasing God. Um, true love is something that we cannot do outside of a miracle, outside of being reborn in through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Um, but right after love, in this litany of the fruit of the Spirit, Paul says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Joy. And he says, rejoice in the Lord always. You know, joy is the hallmark of the Christian. Joy, sort of like gratitude, I think, is... Um, the temperature gauge for the Christian. It's, it's the thermostat. It really sets the, and it, and it shows, it shows the inner workings of a person. It shows the health of a person. It's something that can't be ginned up. It's not happiness. It's regardless of circumstances. It is a deep grounding in the fact that we've been liberated. And you see it radiating from, it marks the Christian. Um, it, you see it radiating from Paul and marking Paul and Silas here. Um, in gripping these these three people that are saved through Jesus and uniting them. And, and it comes from Christ. And it comes from our position in Christ. And it comes from our being beloved in Christ by the Father and believing on him and being saved. And I'll end with this, but um, there was a missions professor at my old seminary that used to walk up to people and shake their hand and say, Have you got the joy, brother? And of course, that was his way of, of saying, are you a Christian? Because a joyless Christian is an oxymoron. And so I just want to encourage you with that. I want to challenge you with that, to take joy not in your circumstances, because those are undulating. Those are not dependable. Those are up and down. But in Christ Jesus, in what he's done for you, who he is, the fact that you are dearly beloved um, despite yourself because of him, brought into the family of God, and you're being made into the image of Christ day by day, and you are headed somewhere good. You're headed somewhere good. And you get to invite people to that, other people to that place and to that person um, through no good of their own, but through his good, through his merit. And that's a beautiful thing. That's a joyful thing. Um, Let's preach this message of joy and liberation wherever we go, friends. God bless you.